Well, good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church and anyone else who may be joining in. I am Jared Bryant, the pastor of Resurrection. And this past week, we started a new series of messages called Encounters with Jesus. And what we're doing is looking at a handful of passages in the Gospel of Mark and asking the question, what happens when people come face to face with Jesus? So when we see ordinary and messy people like us encountering the Son of God, what happens? How does Jesus engage? How do people respond? And what does it mean for us here and now? And what we saw last week was that coming face-to-face with Jesus means coming face-to-face with a choice. Will I follow him or will I go my own way? And it's a choice that we all must face. But today's passage takes us in a different direction. What we see today is this, that coming face-to-face with Jesus means coming face-to-face with someone who has come to fight for us. So I just recently finished Just Mercy, which is the true story of Walter McMillan, a, a black man in Alabama convicted of a crime that he didn't commit, and he was sentenced to die on death row. And, and overnight, his life became a nightmare. He is put in isolation, uh, watching man after man on the row walk to their death, and he is just waiting for his own. He is helpless, he is trapped, and there is nothing that he can do. And it's a nightmare that he can't wake up from because it is his reality. And really, his only hope is that someone from the outside can somehow help. And one young lawyer, Brian Stevenson, shows up. He's the author telling the story. And he says, I will fight for you. Basically, I will give my life to set you free. And this fight is going to take him all the way to the Supreme Court, battling the greatest powers in the land to set this one man free. And it worked. So Walter McMillan was finally free because someone fought for him. And our text this morning shows us someone whose life has become a nightmare. And so it's the Sabbath. It is their day of worship. A group is gathered at the local synagogue to sing, to pray, and to hear instruction on their faith from different teachers. It's quiet, calm, orderly, And Jesus is speaking these words of truth with with such authority that it catches the people off guard because of, of the power that is alongside of it. And then something strange happened. A, a man shows up, breaking the silence with loud screaming, shouting in this group, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy Son of God. Now, we're, we're told very little about this man. We, we don't know his name. We don't know where he's from. We don't know if he has family or friends. We don't know if he has a severe mental illness. We don't know if he has experienced unspeakable trauma in his life. All we are told is that he has this unclean spirit. And it's hard for us to understand what's happening here. And there's a temptation to just explain it away with only natural 
explanations, but to do so misses something critical about what Jesus came to do. Because what we are told is that there is another power at work in this man's life. A spirit of some kind has invaded his life and caged him in a nightmare-like experience. This man is trapped and helpless, and there is no hope except that someone very powerful from the outside comes and fights for him and sets him free. Now, there are four different accounts like this in the Gospel of Mark, where we are told that demonic powers are influencing this terrible control over people's lives, and Jesus comes and sets them free. And it's hard for us to make sense of all that's happening because it seems so different than what we often experience in our own lives. But we have to remember that a big part of Mark's purpose in writing this gospel is to show that the true king has finally come. This long-awaited king has come bringing his kingdom. And what we're seeing about this kingdom is that it is a, it is a kingdom ruled by a king where diseases are healed where relationships are restored, where old things are made new, where sins are forgiven, where the weak are made strong, and where evil and darkness are put in their place. So look at what happens in this encounter with Jesus. It says that Jesus rebukes it. Now, when we think about rebuking someone, we probably think about putting someone in their place, telling someone what they do or don't need to be Doing, but Mark uses it a little differently. He talks about Jesus rebuking, but the examples he gives are a little strange. So, first, Jesus rebukes a fever, and a sick woman is made well. Jesus rebukes a storm, and the disciples are safe. And now, Jesus rebukes an evil spirit, and a man is set free. Now, what's the common thread that runs through all of these rebuking experiences? In all of them, there is something that is threatening humanity. And in all of them, Jesus speaks with authority saying, stop, no more. Here's the bad news. There are forces outside of us that are threatening and seeking to undo us. But here's the good news. Jesus has come to fight for us. In his famous work, East of Eden, John Steinbeck explains our situation like this. I believe that there is one story in the world and only one. Humans are caught in their lives, in their thoughts, in their hungers and ambitions, in their avarice and cruelty, and in their kindness and generosity too, in a net of good and evil. There is no other story. This man shouting in the synagogue is not crazy. He's just caught in the middle of a war, a war between good and evil, between light and darkness, between life and and death. Most wars are fought over territory to either take over new land or defend what you already have. A great example of this is the Gaza Strip, which is only 25 miles long and six miles wide. But this small tract of land has been the center of conflict between Israel and Palestine and additional forces which support each side 
uh, for years, generation after generation, missile after missile, regime after regime, uh, battling over this small and seemingly insignificant tract of land because it is precious to so many. Now, even though there are no explosions or gunshots, every day we wake up in our own war zone. Every day we wake up into the battle between good and evil. And this is actually the story of the Bible. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, we we begin to see the beginning of this opposition and and the forces that are against us. And you go all the way to the end, fast forward to Revelation 22, and you see the final victory of God over the forces of evil and darkness. And in between, we see this war really played out on every single page. But what is it that is being fought so hard over? What we begin to see here in our passage is that the battle is not over soil but over human hearts, the hearts and souls and lives of ordinary people like us. We are the Gaza Strip that is being fought over. And what we see in this text is a small but important picture of the bigger battle where Jesus, God's champion, is battling against the forces of darkness. And the conflict is over one seemingly insignificant human life. And the question is, who will have dominion? And so when Jesus says, be silent and come out of him, he is using his power to reclaim what is rightfully his. He is using his power to liberate and to heal. He is using his power to fight for us. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what the Father sent him to do, and this is what the Spirit is empowering him to do. And then the unclean spirit convulsing and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and the nightmare is over. And this is the good news or the gospel that Mark and others are so adamant about recording and sharing. The good news is not that we are given this new teaching or new system to help save ourselves, Uh, Jesus' teaching with authority is not self-help, how you can fix your life and make everything better. Uh, Jesus' teaching is tapping into the heart of the Old Testament. Its main message is, this is what God is doing to rescue you. The good news is that God himself has come to rescue us, has come to fight for us, has come to defeat evil on our behalf. But he does it in a way that's so different than anyone expected. A few years ago, it seemed like everywhere you looked, there were memes and jokes about Chuck Norris. And Chuck Norris was the action hero of the 80s. And most of his movies track pretty much the same. There's people in danger. There's these vast forces that are against them. Chuck Norris is one of the only ones willing to go in. He busts up everyone, blows up everything, and gets out with the hostages. And while, while we see this morning Jesus winning an encounter with evil, a pure display of power is not how Jesus would ultimately win. Jesus would win the battle for us by losing the battle for him. How did he disarm the powers against us? Well, Paul tells us the answer. He triumphed or had victory over them by the cross. It would be 
like in Just Mercy, if Walter's lawyer came up to him and said, I can definitely get you out, but I have to take your place. You can get off death row, but I have to go on to death row. You can escape execution, but I have to take your place in it. And that's just what Jesus does. His defeat on the cross is for our victory over all of the powers and forces that seek to undo us. What does that mean for us here and now? I want to leave you with three questions that I hope will help drive this home. First, do you believe that Jesus really cares about you enough to fight for you and even die for you? Not not just for a large group of people, but for you personally. Remember, this, this man was a nobody to the world, a strange nuisance to his community, but he was somebody to Jesus, somebody Jesus loved enough to set free and to fight for. It's easy for us to feel our own insignificance, that we are just one face out of billions of other faces, but there is a personal love that Jesus exhibits to the most unlikely of people, and that includes us. Second, do you you feel hopeless and trapped where it seems like it rests all on you to fix your life and get out of the mess that you're in? When life gets hard, it's all too easy to, to feel and think that we are all alone, that maybe God has left us to figure things out on our own, or maybe he's passively waiting to see how we will do. How might your life be different this week if, if every morning you grasped the truth that this day God is with me and he is fighting for me, that he's not against me? Whatever my circumstances might be telling me, he is for me, fighting battles in my behalf that often I have no idea are going on. And third and finally, is there a growing gratitude and wonder in us at what God has done? In our New Testament lesson, we are called to give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When this transfer takes place, when this deliverance takes place, Paul says the best response is an overflowing of joy and gratitude and wonder at the God who has done this for us. Sometimes the best response to seeing Jesus is not to say, well, this is how I'm going to live differently this week, but just to be amazed at who he is and what he has done. And what we will find is that this amazement, this wonder, and only this has the true power to change how we live. Because change that is grounded in guilt or shame or fear simply will not last. Only change that is grounded in wonder and grace and hope and love will last. And that change will not only last in us, but it's change that will impact the world as well. So my hope is that this week we will remember Jesus fighting for us and we will look to him with trusting and grateful hearts. 
amen and amen. I love you and miss you all. Blessings in Christ.